0: Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So... Welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. everyone, Welcome to Let's Talk Native. I'm John Kane. I'm your host. And uh, look, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about uh, the native dispensaries of recreational marijuana on native territories. Um, but I want to say that I have friends that are on both sides of this issue. Some think we should do it. Some think we shouldn't do it on our territories. And and I got to tell you that um, that I'm not. I don't gamble. I don't smoke, and cigarettes, and, and I don't smoke weed or chew edibles. But. That is a personal choice, and, and it's not a philosophical or ideological um, uh, position that I have. So I'm not going to spend this hour condemning um, this business, this emerging business. And, and when I say emerging, I mean big time. I'm, I'm talking to you from the Cattaraugus Territory the Seneca Nation, and there are close to 100 dispensaries right now between the Allegheny Territory and the Cattaraugus Territories. Um, of the Seneca Nation. And that's not even with the nation being in the business yet. That's just private sector. So I, I really, I, I wanted to talk about this, but I don't really want to talk about it in terms of good or bad. Um, again, that's, that's a choice that a lot of people have to make. And, and I understand, look, we have limited opportunities on our, on our territories to do things um, that can create an economy. And to the extent that we we've, we've generated businesses here, we haven't really generated an economy. And the reason we haven't generated an economy, an economy requires more than just uh, a few businesses, or even a lot of one business. An economy can only exist when when money or currency or trade goods change hands multiple times within within a community. That's when that's an economy. That's how you. You, you see positive economic activity. If somebody comes to our territory, buy something, and with that money that they purchased, we immediately spend that money off territory, there's no real economic benefit to the community. I mean, look, it, it supports a few jobs. Uh, it, it supports that one business and business owner. If that product is purchased off territory, that money leaves immediately in terms of um its overhead and then because we don't have grocery stores, department stores or you know any any means to uh to spend our income on our territories within the community uh, in a in a big way. I mean we we do superficially. We put our gas in our cars and again we buy cigarettes and you know and and weed. Um we buy some convenience items at some of the stores, but we don't have a very vibrant product or service sector on our territories. Most of what we shop for, cars, big items, small items, appliances, household, groceries, are all off our territories. Clothing. So we we don't truly have an economy. So what we try to do is we try to identify businesses that we can um, assert, uh, take advantage, or sometimes say exploit, our regulatory advantages, and those usually involve us doing something that the state and or federal government, but more often the state, because that's the that's easier fight for us, over taxes. Fuel, motor fuel, for instance. We we sell gasoline in our territories because we don't have to charge or pay the uh, the state tax on, on motor fuel. So we can sell it cheaper than, than off-territory. <clears throat> so we give, we get, we offer a cheaper price to um, the consumers off our territory and on our territory, uh, and we make a few more dollars. We, we've got a bigger margin in the operation of these stores, so that allows us to to enter into a business that we may not be normally competitive in because oftentimes our remote locations we aren't we aren't exactly in the middle of a major metropolitan area where there's where there's good traffic. I mean, look, there, there's roads that go through our territory, so we do have traffic. Uh, but I'll tell you, a lot of the traffic we have because, because of some of the businesses we have. So, so that's how, that's kind of the status of the, the economic development you know, the, or the commerce that's on our territory. As I said, we don't truly represent what you would call a sustainable economy because the dollars don't come into our territories and stay there long enough. So there, we're limited. And so tobacco sales... Is one area that we have a, a a very large regulatory advantage over the state. Gasoline, gaming. I mean, the, we we've always been able to do gaming, even when the state may have had difficulty doing gaming the way that they want to do it. In fact, up until they changed their their state constitution, the state couldn't do class re gaming. Now they do, and I'm not going to do a whole show here on gaming. Not this time. I've got plenty of to- more to talk about that in future shows. <clears throat> so these are regulatory advantages. Now, cannabis. Marijuana um, is another product that the state legalized the sale and possession of. They haven't put anything together yet for, you know, as far as rules and regulations on how a retailer can be licensed, um, you know, what their supply line is going to look like and that kind of stuff. They're, you know, they've they've dabbled with with growing um, some medicinal stuff that the state has managed very, very poorly. In fact, their rollout for medical marijuana has been dreadful and I don't even know nobody even talks about it because it's such a uh, a failure and of course that's typical for new york state now the interesting thing is with you know especially with with gaming and with uh, and, and now with marijuana is you've had the state and the federal government I'm mean, really condemn these things I mean you know calling gaming you know gambling terrible I mean that's why the the state had a constitutional prohibition against gambling. It was a terrible thing. The state took a strong position against sports betting. But then all of a sudden now the state's in gambling. Now it's in the gaming industry and all those evil things they associated with gambling somehow aren't so evil anymore. Sports betting, you know, look they condemned the idea that people could to do sports betting on their phone and, and you know and a lot of, sometimes in the in the Caribbean islands there were there were sports betting facilities <clears throat> and the state condemn these things called them them evil and and unlawful and <clears> he <throat> really really painted these things as as these terrible things that were just going to suck money out of uh, innocent people well now the states in uh, in sports betting and you know they went beyond going into a brick and mortar casino and doing sports betting now you can do it on your computer you can do it on your phone so this is kind of how the the state does an about face it's kind of like prohibition when you know all the the teetotalers were we're so against, you know, drinking and then all of a sudden, you know, now you, you can't watch a football game. I mean, everything is sponsored by alcohol, uh, you know, companies, beverage companies. I mean, it's it's, you know, it's kind of insane how it becomes the American pastime when it was, you know, prohibited. I mean, it was prohibition. It was it was, you know, the, the sin, this crime. And of course, marijuana marijuana was you know was the devil's you know the devil's drug I mean uh, and you know so all of the the hate and the condemnation the war on drugs the amount of people particularly people of color who have been imprisoned whose lives were ruined because of this really strong moral objection to smoking marijuana as a you know you know as a um, a substance like drinking <clears throat> But now it's okay, so so now it's now the state says it's legal, and of course, you know they, they're they're trying to like tip the scales a little bit, so um, so there can be some, I don't want to call it reparations, but redress, I don't know, to how um, people have been convicted and imprisoned, lives ruined um, because of the, the war on drugs and the war on marijuana. They're trying to tip it the other way. So well, we're going to allow people with convictions to uh, to get licenses. <laughs> But, but, you know, most of the people who are going to be in this business, in this legal business with the state, um, they're going to be white folks. They're going to be white folks, you know, well-funded. I mean, it, it, it just it's just kind of the way it works. I mean, who's opening up the casinos? Some of the richest people, the richest white people there are. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's who gets in. Once a condemned business becomes legal, it's very limited who can get involved in it. But for some reason, and, and I'm not entirely sure why, the um, the cannabis czar, the uh, you know one of the spokespersons for the New York Office of Cannabis um, uh, Management, that's what it is, Cannabis Management, a, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Freeman uh, Clopot or Clawpot, I'm not sure. He made a statement. You know, uh, to the press, he said dispensaries are legal right today. Now, dispensaries are legal if they are on federally recognized sovereign tribal lands today, that, that they are legal. Now, I mean, to, to me, that's not a uh, that bold a statement, really. I mean, because once the state made it legal that they were going to do it, I, I mean, it's still the reason that people on native territory were going to do it. But the fact that a state representative, somebody representing the governor's office, said that the sale of cannabis on native territory is legal. In fact, the only legal sale of cannabis in the state, of course, they got to include us in the state, um, is on native Native lands. And, and of course, they use on recognized sovereign tribal lands, you know, recognized sovereign and tribal. Great, great words. Um, anyway, that's that's so that's what this Freeman Clopot. Said as the New York representative of the Office of Cannabis Management. Now, <laughs> the, the the thing is that they still have not backed up and acknowledged that we have the legal right to sell tobacco on our territories. I mean, as far as New York State is concerned, the sale of tobacco products without New York's stamp on it is something New York State still claims they have a right to tax. They won't really actually come out and say that it's illegal or that it's legal, but they're saying they have a right to tax it. And what they're saying is that any product on our territories without a New York State stamp on it, as far as New York is concerned, is contraband. So to, to hear this Freeman guy say that the sale of, t- of cannabis products here is legal it it begs some questions, you know. Why make the statement? I mean, were you really pressed for? It? I mean, normally, if you know, if a politician or a you know some political figure is asked a question like that, they'll say, "Well, that's still a gray area, and we're still sorting that out." No, that wasn't his answer. His answer was, "Oh no, it's legal," and in fact, he goes on to say, "The Office of Cannabis Management has the ability to enter into um, agreements with tribes through tribal compacts to integrate." Our cannabis sales into the state program. Into the state program. What I mean is under the state program. So, what the same guy was saying that it's legal is saying, however, we have the ability to, to, the ability, not the authority or the mandate or the orders to, but that they have the ability to, to um, encourage us to enter into compacts. Now, when they say encourage us, they don't mean the hundred dispensaries on native territories. Now, now let's be clear here. The state and the federal government do not endorse private sector development on native territories. Let's be clear. Let me say it again. The state and the federal government do not support, endorse or, or advocate in any way, shape or form the private sector development on native territory. Now they claim they support free enterprise. They go around the world talking about, Oh yeah, we're all capitalists and uh, we're all in favor of, Um, you know, free markets, free enterprise. That's what we, except not on native territories. On native territories, the state and federal government wish, if they had their way, only the nations, the tribes, the, you know, the the governments. It would all be government-run businesses on, on these territories. And in fact, they have a few. Oneida, Onondaga. So they have a few, but they wish it was all that way. Now, why would they want that? Why would they promote that level of socialism, you know, the evil socialism, on native territories, when they promote free enterprise every place else, capitalism every place else. Why would they do that? Well, it's because we're a problem for them. And they don't want to have to deal with a 100 stores. They don't want to deal with a 100 store owners and their families. I mean, now you're talking about you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. No, they don't want to have to deal with, quote, unquote, Indians. Take me to your leader. That's what they say. You take me to your leader because that's the person I want to get in, get a deal with. That's the person I want to negotiate a compact with. Now, so, but why would, you know, why would a native territory enter into a compact with New York State? <laughs> Especially if they don't have to, which we never really have to. In fact, if you say we have to, then that's not really a, a, an agreement. That's, that's you know, that's forcing somebody, that's extortion. You know, the, the, the gaming situation that exists, when the federal government says, we just changed federal Indian law, or federal law, and now for a, uh, for a nation to want to, to do gaming, you have to enter into a compact with New York State, with, with the state that surrounds you. Well, that's not an agreement. You just forced that, you just, you just extorted. You're saying the only way my business is legal is, a, is, is if I do it under the conditions that you're imposing upon us? So that's, that's gaming. We're not there yet with uh, with with cannabis, with marijuana. But is that where we're going? I mean, did did Freeman Klopot say it was legal on native territories because they want us to build the market for them? I mean, they did that with gaming. Let, let's be clear again. <laughs> you got to you got to cite what you know, right? That's what exactly what they do with gaming. They encouraged contracted, compacted, due whatever you want to call it with with, with Oneida and Mohawk territory and Santa territory, territory for Indian casinos to build the market. And at the same time, they started, you know, coming in underneath that market with class two gaming that played just like class three gaming. And then they could argue to their constituency, well, we're already in the casino business. We're we're in it by proxy through the tribes. And of course we have our racetrack casinos and we've had the lottery. And we've expanded lottery into into games that play just like Kino in a casino. So we're we're already in gaming. And of course, they've expanded that because after they, after we softened up their constituency and built the market, they went and changed their constitution so they could so they could do class three gaming and they could do go beyond the racetrack casinos. So they used us not only to build the market but to learn the market because. They didn't have to spend a dime to, to, to learn what the, what the market was in New York State. It's starting to sound eerily familiar with what's happening with cannabis. They're not ready yet. And in fact, there probably won't be the first legal New York State um, licensed uh, cannabis, cannabis dispensary probably for at least eight months to a year from now. And In the meantime, you've got native territories, Mohawk Territory, Seneca Territory, uh, in particular, going like gangbusters. I mean, they're like I said here in Seneca Territory alone, in, in Seneca Nation alone, there's close to a hundred dispensaries opening now. Are all of these going to survive? Are all these going to be successful? Probably not. I mean, it's it's a little bit like the gold rush. Not everybody who went to uh, who went panning for gold got it. So it's a little bit like the gold rush here. And you know, the 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 better businesses, the better. You know, businessmen who address things like supply line and that kind of stuff—they'll—they'll they'll be more successful. Uh, and you know, and I'm not saying that it's that it's always going to be business people who who have experience, perhaps in uh, gas stations or, or smoke shops. I'm not even saying that, but but the people who do who are smart about it will be successful. But I mean, we've got we've got people selling out of sheds, out of um, you know storage containers, out of you know teepees, <laughs> you know, out of, out of you know, campers, out of any number of things. That's, you know, so um, it's not just stores. I mean, it's not, you don't go on a territory and, and automatically say, oh, look, there's a store. No, you're saying, oh, that's a dispensary. You know, so, you know, and, and I'm not condemning that. I, you know, when when tobacco first started here, it was tar paper shacks. Some people were selling cigarettes out of their cars. And it built into, and it refined down. I mean, it boiled down to to um, you know, some and, and several, I mean, if not many, successful um, stores, smoke shops, convenience stores, gas stations, and, but, it, but, but it winnows down and, and the, same, the same will happen here. And it's gonna happen here, especially when New York State gets in the game, because this is gonna get ugly. <clears throat> so when I hear Freeman Clopot saying, oh, it's legal, and then mentioning this idea of compacting with the state to integrate us into their system, um, that rings a little hollow. I mean, for one thing, let, let's be clear. If we didn't learn anything about compacts with the state after, uh, after what the Seneca's went through or are going through with, uh, with New York State and, and gaming, then somebody should just smack us upside the head with a two-by-four. I mean, that's, that's just pure ignorance. If any native leader really advocates getting in bed with New York State, knowing how bad all of the territories are getting screwed, I mean, Aquasasni—they're paying 25% of their net slot drop for a casino to protect them from what? I mean, who the hell is going to build a casino up in the North Country? I mean, I'm not condemning Aquasasni for doing it. I mean, it's, it's the land you have. You 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 know you, you dance with what bring you. But you know what? Nobody's going nobody's gonna spend a half a billion to a billion dollars for a license from New York State and then spend another half a billion to a billion to build a facility in the North Country. The market's not there. I mean, you probably have a, perhaps a right-sized, right-scaled casino for the North Country, but that market is not a burgeoning market. And, and, it, and it's not in any place uh, except for possibly New York City. So you're getting screwed by the state. And, and, and I you know, look, I read some of the stuff that comes out, and, and when I hear some of these tribal counselors, these elected chiefs up in Akhazalasi saying, yeah, I don't know how we got in this bad deal. Well, you entered into it, just like the Senecas did. Somebody convinced you, and it's probably your legal counsel, that you need to pay the state something so they'll negotiate with you, so they'll give you a compact, give you permission to do gaming. No, that's not really the way it works. But that's the way they're advised by the legal counsel. And you can bet there's legal counsel in the ears of leaders, probably here in Seneca Territory and certainly up in, in Akwesasne and other places, saying, you know, if you do enter into a cannabis compact, there could be benefits. And they're going to twist around. They're going to they're ignore all of the, the history of New York State and Native people. And they're going to say, yeah, but what a great partnership it could be. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. They are going to do everything they can once they're in the business to undermine the business that exists in our territory. So, first and foremost, if you are a native leader and you're listening to this show, and I know not many of you do because I'm not very kind to you, (laughs) but if you are or if you know somebody, do not let your elected officials enter into a compact with New York State. They are going to screw you. How do I know? Because they've been screwing you. We've been fighting the tobacco wars with New York State and the federal government for for 40 years for crying out loud. 40 freaking years. And they still con- consider it something that they can, they can seize if they want to, especially over the roads. So, I mean, I can't really state it any more clearly than to look at the track record that we've had with New York State over tobacco, over gasoline, over gaming. And look at how how fickle they are about what the evils are of, you know, of, of tobacco, the evils of, of alcohol, the evils of gambling until they're, until they control it all. So we have to be, look, I'm not even saying we got to be smart. We just can't be stupid. There is no freaking way that, that Mr. Freeman Clopot should entice anybody into entering into or negotiating a cannabis compact with New York state. I mean, it, it, and you know what? And if somebody does and the people who elected that somebody don't take them out, and I don't mean just at the booth, (laughs) at the voting booth, if, if, if native people stand for another, I mean, another indiscretion like this by, uh, by native leaders, then I'm sorry, you, you you get what you deserve. I, you know, like I tell this to Americans all the time. You got Trump because you deserve Trump. You got Cuomo because you deserve Cuomo. Don't don't look at us when we tell you, yeah, that they're crooks or Kathy Hochul's a crook. Her husband's a crook. No, don't look at us. You're the ones that voted for them. We didn't, we sure as hell didn't. But if you're voting for for so-called native leaders, who immediately turn to their lawyers for advice and stop hearing you at all, then then shame on you. You get what you deserve. I mean, I don't know where the Seneca Nation is going with its gaming compact that they've got to negotiate for 2024. I mean, I hope, I really do hope that there have been lessons learned about how much and how ruthless and how devious the state is Yes, Miss Kathy Hochul, the lady governor, unelected lady governor. How devious they really are, and I hope they don't—they don't even entertain a revenue sharing agreement going forward. They should not ever put them in a situation where the state can claim they owe them money. That's that's just bottom line because the state showed what they'll do; they'll freeze all your accounts. Well, it's the same thing that goes with cannabis. Look, the only reason the state is going to want to get involved with native people is so they can so we can collect taxes for them or pay them some other way that is not tech collecting taxes i mean it is it and the only and the only reason any native leadership would ever get involved with the state is so they can feel a limited sense of power i mean let's be clear under our our most ancient ways the Guyana de Goa, those people who are put into positions are not put into positions of authority. They're put into positions of responsibility and they, they are the servants of the people. And you know, and they say that sometimes about public officials that they're in, in public service, but it's just lip service when they say it. I mean, do you think Kathy Hokel thinks she's the servant of the people? She's probably, She's got servants. In fact, <laughs> One of her servants just got uh, had to had to resign from the lieutenant governor's position, and now she's putting another servant in his place. In his place, no, they don't think they're servants; they think they're lords, they're masters. And unfortunately, native elected officials get the same thing. They they say, "Well, I'm so honored to be your leader." No, 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 you're not our leader. We didn't elect you to be a leader; we elected you to be a servant. See, and they forget that, so they think they have authority. And because they don't really have authority, there is a place they can get some because they can't get it within our systems. I mean, look, even the so-called constitutions that uh, that that exist on some of these native territories really talk about responsibilities, not again, not authority. But you know where they can get authority from the state The state would love to issue their, uh, you know, get the police in there to help regulate the businesses here. Oh, they're, they're, they're gonna do it for the tribal councils. But at the same time, those tribal councils, because they they make that deal with the devil, the she devil in, in Albany, they become beholding to her or whoever the next one is. So they don't really get authority. They just get a, a, you know, they just get into a place that's above the people, but below the state. Instead of them standing with us, and I'm not look, I'm not saying anybody's done this. But but clearly, when you look at the history of compacts, and there are states that native territories have entered into compacts with the state over over tobacco tax, compacts with the state over over motor fuel tax, compacts with the state with the state over their state over uh, cannabis sales that that exists, and the native people are screwed in every one of those circumstances. Now I'm not saying there isn't money to be made, but the state always seems to make more money. And I gotta I gotta back this and say this, and I always talk about this as it relates to gaming. To be clear, our businesses contribute to New York State's economy. Let me say it again. We don't have an economy. We have businesses. Those are, that is not, Businesses an economy does not make. <laughs> Sound like Yoda. But no, that doesn't mean you have an economy because you have businesses. Because if that money flows immediately out, and if you're paying the state anything, revenue sharing, taxes, you're paying the state anyway, any, uh, you know, right off the top, that, m- that money is leaving immediately and it goes into their system and the state taxes income. So it taxes you when you work, it taxes you when you buy, it taxes you when you sell, it taxes you when you die, it taxes you when you inherit. The state finds all kinds of ways. They tax you, you know, for a product that you, that you purchase, a service that you use. They have surcharges on your, on your phone bills, on your utility bills. They've got, there's so many different ways that the state can tax you. There's sales tax, there's excise tax, there's income tax. We don't have any of that on our territory. We have sole sources of public finance. And I've talked about this, you know, uh, so when the Sanca nation, it's, it's main source, if not sole source is gaming. Yeah. They've got a couple of stores and, and so they, they have income that comes from those. But their, their main source of public finance comes from gaming. That doesn't make the Seneca Nation rich because they have casinos. It's how they fund their whole government. And we're talking about thousands of people. You know, this isn't like, you know, like Mashantaka Pequot, where there was only a few hundred Pequots that could, you know, enjoy the, the benefits of, of, of their, their gaming success until they didn't have gaming success, that is. Till they had to file, you know, for bankruptcy protection because they overbuilt for the market. But no, I mean, we're talking about thousands of people here, and 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 it's expensive. And, and of course, there, there's an expectation from the Seneca people that there will be nice buildings to do, to, to have. Wreck in, there will be nice buildings to uh, for you know, not just for their administration, but for for all of the programs, their clinics, their their wellness center, all of, that they will have nice facilities. There's an expectation because they know that's why they approved doing the gaming. So our system is completely different. And and I can't can't state this enough or or more clearly. Our system is different. What constitutes an economy out there is money changing hands within, within a community, within a region. We don't have that. So we do build businesses and we try to employ people and we, we try to create some, some revenue, um, but, it, but it does get spent. So you're, the state already benefits from everything that we do. So if we, sell, if we sell a gallon of gas without state tax on it, the state still benefits because that money goes right back into the local economy. And in fact, the consumers who come onto our territory to save money, they're not saving money that money's not being locked into a bank or going into some foreign investment the money they save goes right back into the media, uh, into the economy they they buy at the at the other stores you know the other places the money they save buying you know cigarettes or gas or, or or cannabis because now they're not buying it in the black market which really had the price up higher believe it or not so the the money that they're saving <coughs> gets spent in other ways. I mean, look, even, even the casinos, the money that comes into those casinos, which are really delegated or or acknowledged as, um, as entertainment dollars. I mean, it's supposed to be disposable income, right? I realize that some people have gambling addictions and they spend way too much money and that's bad for the individual. But you know, when that money comes into the Seneca Nation, a lot of it goes into the, into the operation of the casinos. Majority of the employees are non-native, that pay tax. So the money goes right back into your economy. New York State is a bigger beneficiary of Seneca Gaming and Seneca businesses than than the Seneca people are. Let me say it again: New York State represent a bigger beneficiary. They benefit more from the commerce on native territories than the native people do. Because the money goes right back in, the money saved stays in their, in their economy circulating, and the money spent goes right back into their economy. We don't have the dollars changing hands three, four, five times. Hell, we're lucky if it changes hands twice. I mean, the percentage of, of anybody's income that gets spent in a, uh, in a smoke shop is pretty small. But I guarantee the percentage of your income that gets spent everywhere else is large. So even the cannabis sales here, ultimately, again, ultimately are going to benefit the state. First and foremost, we're building the business that you hope to, uh, to capitalize on later. And you know it. You know it. And that's why all Freeman Klopot was so willing to say, oh, yeah, it's legal. I mean, he was all about telling people, giving people the green light. Yeah, go to Native Territories. You can buy legal weed there. That's essentially what his, what his comment was. They've never said that. They've never endorsed the gaming, the gas, the cigarettes, nothing. Not, not in the way that this guy did. So it it just makes you wonder, why? Well, well clearly, they know that, that they are essentially... Entering into a, into a business that New York State knows nothing about. thats what, They failed so miserably with their medical marijuana stuff. They know that they have to watch what we're doing. They know that they've got to try, and, and they're going to spy like hell. They're, look, they're going to try to be watching us like hawks to see how this business works. Now, unlike gaming, they have, have, they have no access to any of our information. Doesn't mean they aren't going to watch it. Hell, they're gonna be walking into our shops. They're gonna be customers. Look, they've been doing it the, for years past. Look, we've had people. <laughs> I mean, in Tonawanda, they, they actually set up a raid where they went in there to buy some of those bath salts and you know and, and stuff and you know arrested friends of mine. Set them up. Went in there with DEA agents to set them up. Now, they're not gonna be DEA agents, they're gonna be people from the Office of Cannabis Management. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna watch our business, and they're gonna learn from it, and then they're gonna do everything they can to kill it. Now, I said earlier, there's, there's probably a hundred dispensaries between Cattaraugus and Allegheny. Many of those are are not gonna be successful. Many of them won't last, you know, more than a couple of months, and you know, and we'll see how they how they handle getting through a winter. But, um, and some of those will go away just because of the competition here. But some of them are going to be driven out by the state. And this is with or without. This is is even without a a compact. You know, my my first message, and, and look, part of the reason that I won't endorse or condemn gaming, tobacco sales, or cannabis sales is because those who are for and against it are friends of mine. You're, you're, and, and, and I don't, I want to fight the state. My enemy is not a cannabis dispensary. And whether I ever go in there or not, my enemy isn't a smoke shop. My enemy isn't the, you know, the Seneca Niagara casino. My enemy is the state and the federal government. And, And To be clear, and the federal government. Because if this business builds as it has, and it and and if it does manage to sustain a hundred dispensaries in Seneca territory, and I don't know how many in Tonawanda, I think there's a resistance to it in Tuscarora. Um, I think Oneida's looking at it. Aquasasni, um, you know, Akwesasne has you know uh, a lot of jurisdictional border issues, but they've got shops open up. And I think downstate, they're looking at it as well. And that's going to be interesting because, you know, again, when you get Mr. Clopot saying on re- federally recognized sovereign tribal lands, you know, they're going to try to squeeze some territories that they're going to you know, question the, whether they are properly recognized. That's what, that's one of the games they play. And, and of course we get into this you know, into into the mix because the question ends up being how much we end up throwing our you know our friends, our brothers, our sisters under a bus. We aren't great at standing together. When when shit really hits the fan, yeah, we come together. We come together strong. We shut down throughways, burn tires. We you know we take over BIA building. We do all kinds of stuff. Go to Albany, raise hell on their steps. Yeah, we do all kinds of stuff. But then we get comfortable and we get quiet. And then we we kind of let them peck away at us a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they they're they're violating us, but you know we got we got a way around that. We don't take these issues on head on. We don't. And once we find a comfortable way to to sustain a business, we forget that we're still in a fight. And we can't forget that. I mean, That's part of the reason that we have a current generation that doesn't know. I mean, our kids don't know what it's like to fight the state. They they hear us bad-mouthing and calling down the state, but they don't know what the fight is. Look, some of us got dragged around. We had physical confrontations with, with, with police over various things that we fought for over these years. Things that they do, but then when we do it, they want to try to shut it down. I am not suggesting that dispensaries should close. Not in, the, in the I'm not suggesting that in the slightest. But I think whether you own a dispensary or not, we should be prepared for the fight that's coming. And we should stand strong not just to defend recreational marijuana. I mean, that's not, I'm going to, I'll fight for these guys. Not because I'm, you know, I'm in favor of that, you know, that pastime. I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that's why I I would fight for them. I'll fight for Seneca Gaming and, you know, smoke shops, our native to native trade, because that's one of these issues, right? How are we going to backwards integrate into, being growing operations and and then sustain a business where we can grow enough to supply a store and then have trade and commerce from territory to territory. See, this is where it gets really complicated with the state because even when you got Freeman Clopot saying our sales are illegal on native territories, you can bet they're going to be watching us as we try to... Um, conduct commerce native territory to native territory as we try to distribute even as we try to establish native brands and and put our stamp on this industry the state's going to be trying to shut us down and, and i'm not saying they're going to be successful look they, they haven't been successful with, with tobacco i mean we've always been ahead of them on that game but but let's think about what we did here we started out just selling product. We, we found wholesalers, non-native wholesalers, who would supply us with tobacco products, who would submit their paperwork to the state because they were state-licensed wholesalers saying, oh, no, these are going to native territories." They had to, they had to fight that fight for us. They had to fight for the right to sell us product. And that's what they did. I mean, Atiyah went all the way to the Supreme Court and lost. Ultimately, so after we built a business with national premium American brands, we we started building native brands, Senecas, Signals, you know all these other you know Herons, all these other brands that we started we started developing. But that didn't go easy either. We ended up in in fights with them because even as we're making these products, we're still susceptible to. Federal excise tax, which when they changed it, they tried to hit us with a floor tax at the federal level. So, even as we we start a business and then try to backwards integrate into a supply line, we have a fight on our hands with the state and with the with the federal government. We have trucks being seized on the on the highway. We have federal agents trying to set up people buying product that you know from you know from different places only to put them face down in the dirt with a gun to their head by federal ATF agents yeah it's happened it doesn't seem to register on the forefront of everybody's mind what we've gone through even with the tobacco business so in spite of all that we persevered and we we still have a business but it's a business we're still fighting for we still have pressure at the federal level for suppliers to get state licenses. They're still trying to squeeze us into, you know, as Clopot says, enter into um, agreements that would integrate us into their state program. We don't want to be integrating your state programs, none of them. And and again, <clears throat> what is not acknowledged, what is not recognized is that we aren't just another retailer. We are native retailers on a native territory that operates under a completely different system. We don't tax. I said it before, we don't tax. And we couldn't tax because we don't have enough economy in our territories to sustain a taxing system. So I'm not complaining that we don't have the ability to tax. I mean, we could do it, but it would fail your system fails your tax system sucks and you know what? you all complain about it and you all swear you're going to reform the tax code the income tax code the you know you're, i mean poor people are still taxed at a higher rate than anybody else i mean what kind of system is that and then you want to squeeze us we're poorer than your poor people oh yeah but you get to do you guys have Sovereign lands, you guys have all of these benefits. Bullshit. These aren't benefits. These are necessities for our survival. I mean, sovereignty isn't our excuse. It's not our defense. It's what we defend. We defend our rights to do things differently than you do. Not to be integrated into your, your programs. A hundred years of residential schools trying to, trying to get inside our heads, indoctrinate us, push your religion, push your version of education, eradicate our sense of culture and self and identity, all that stuff. But you know what? It didn't work. You killed a bunch of us. You harmed a bunch of us. You killed some of every one of us. But we are still not you. Yeah, we speak your language. In fact, I speak it better than most of you. (laughs) But we still speak our language. We still know that we are not you. And I know everybody hates this idea that we have a system that pits us against each other. But I'm not saying it has to be us against them, that it has to be us against you. But let's acknowledge that there's us and there's you. And that we aren't the same. No, we don't all have souls. (laughs) No, we aren't the same. Look, we have some of the same wants and desires. We want to protect our families. We want to put food on the table. We want security. We want our future secured. Well, our future isn't secured by being you. Because we know the place that you had in your system for us. It was at the very bottom. That's what you had in store for us. That we were going to be your laborers. We were going to be your, your housemaids. We were going to be your, you know, the people who do the work that nobody else will do. And you and you believed so much that's all we were capable of that even with 100 years of residential schools, you didn't teach us a goddamn thing. <laughs> no, I guess you didn't teach us a goddamn thing. That's all you taught us. As you abused our children, killed them, allowed them to die. So we are not you. Our experiences are the same. And so when I hear somebody say, oh, yeah, but you don't know the life experience that somebody went through. Well, don't you for a second pretend to understand ours. Because even if I was never abused as a child, I'm still impacted by all of the, my ancestors and my relatives who were abused as children. This intergenerational trauma doesn't always have to be firsthand to be impacted by it. Because we're surrounded by people who are still on shaky legs, folks. And we, we talk about you know, being in business and building an economy. We're first generation business people. Look, one of the biggest things to happen for Native people is when we started developing higher skill levels in the labor uh, in the labor force: iron workers, high steel workers, construction workers. So our men could earn livings. They 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 got the benefits of unions that weren't they weren't set up for us. All of a sudden, we had Native men making. Really serious amounts of money, and our lives changed. But you know what else changed? The men weren't here anymore. All our men left for work, sometimes weeks at a time, months at a time. So yeah, money money got sent home, but our families got destroyed. So when we finally start developing, econ- you know, some sort of economy, some basis for business. All of a sudden, our men were home, and they could be coaches. They could be dads. Our systems are not the same. Many of our needs are the same, but you go about it a completely different way to to satisfy your needs. You know, and, and if we weren't fighting the state all the time, We could be creating a model that you might want to follow because your system sucks. We have a tendency because of 100 years of indoctrination in residential schools and military service and churches and and television and movies and, and being denigrated over and over and over and over again to believe that we have to be like white people. So what do we do? We set up white cops. We, we set up native cops that, that look just like white cops, drive the cop cars, you know, carry the weapons. We, get, we create rules and regulations just like theirs that suck out there, and then we create them from here. We put stamps on the cigarettes. Under some belief that if we act like them, then our lives are going to be better. But we can't act like them because our systems are different here we need to come up with uniquely native culturally satisfying systems if we need systems at all for how we how, you know how we do business i guess it we should not we should avoid the hierarchies that exist out there the governmental hierarchies those people are not your leaders they are your servants I don't care how much money they make. I don't care uh, how things have changed over the years when it comes to native government. The people you elect are there to serve you, not to lead you, not to dictate to you. We need to rethink who we are on our own territories. Because if we get sucked into their system, what do we do? That, do, we, do we try a tax system? Don't, trust me, there's been conversations on many native territories. And there's still some debate. So if, if a non-native opens up a business on our territory, are they taxable? Does the state get to collect tax from them? Well, I tell you, the, the whole city of Salamanca the New York State's collecting taxes off of, should they be? If they're on native lands? I mean, th- these are some of the questions, right? So, look, the cannabis business is here. And I don't, you know, whether 100 businesses, you know, are successful or not, there are going to be some that are. And that business isn't just going to be a storefront selling, you know, gummies and uh, and buds. It's not. There are going to be, you know, growing operations. There's going to be relationships from... You know, other states, maybe other countries. There's going to be product development. There's going to be any number of things that come out of this business, and some of it's going to happen here. So what's the state going to try to do? We don't know. I mean, look, we have oftentimes tried to guess what the state's next maneuvers are going to be. The only thing that's a little confusing is, again, hearing hearing one of their their regulators make the announcement that what we're doing is legal. And he doesn't say legal for now, but I don't know if that's the implication. You know when the United States was building an economy, they had this thing called laissez-faire, hands off. Let the econ- let the economy build first before you before you start creating all of these obstacles and regulations and restrictions and taxes and fees and charges and you know, um, permitting and licensing and, you know, codes and everything else. Let the business build a little bit. We've never had that advantage. We've been fighting the state from the first day we sold a pack of cigarettes here. In fact, we were having battles with the state selling beadwork. Not everybody, but some were. I mean, I know people who were, you know, who earned, who used to make things all year long To enter the, the, to, to hit the powwow trail, as they say. And that's how they made their money for the year. Those places, those people with a station wagon full of native art, crafts, were being harassed, sometimes at the border, sometimes just any place. So we have been fighting the state all the while, the state. Does their commerce? They they run the throughway through Seneca Territory. They run rail through Seneca Territory. They run interstates through Seneca Territory. They run, you know, secondary roads. You know, U.S. Routes five and twenty, U.S. Route thirty-nine. Uh, you know, uh, look, uh, we have, we have all of these highways that go through our territory where state commerce co- is conducted, and we have no say over it. We don't issue permits. The Seneca Nation doesn't collect a tax for the commerce that runs through their native territories? Oh no, no. When I say we don't have a tax system, we also don't have any enforcement over the commerce that non-natives do through our territories, none. Oh, they put up a sign that says, you know, overweight trucks aren't allowed, but I don't even know if they enforce that. So, I mean, we, we have this uneven playing field where the state tries to dictate what we can do on our territories while we have no say over what they do as they cross through our territories and the commerce that they have. So this is why it is so important that we don't emulate them. That we create, if if need be, we create our own systems. If we do need regulation, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be some community input on what, what's allowed and what's not allowed. I mean, whatever that's going to look like. You want to call it regulations? You want to call it standards? Yeah, there should be. I mean, we shouldn't be selling stuff to kids. And look, let's be honest. A lot of this this cannabis stuff is turned into edibles, and these edibles are sometimes candy. It's chocolate, it's gummies, it's it's snacks, it's cookies, it's brownies. Well, whether we like it or not, that's just pretty appealing to kids. So how do we regulate it? How do we make sure that this stuff doesn't end up in the in, in the hands of kids? you know and this is you know obviously one of my worries so what's the age do we let the state and do we let the state say oh it's got to be 21 i mean when it used to be 18 for tobacco and when the state changed it to 21 we immediately followed so so apparently we are in influenced or impacted by the state i mean we're we kind of follow some of their standards and i'm not saying they're terrible standards i'm not i'm not saying whether i disagree or agree i look at I'm not a big fan of smoking. I'll flat out say it. But I do understand the value that the cigarette trade has brought to Native territories. But I would be fine if, if, if all of those tobacco sales didn't involve any of our, uh, any of our families here. <laughs> I would be fine with that. So we shouldn't be emulating what the state is offering. Their systems, their programs, integration into their systems, subjugation is what it, is is what it really is. So, while I am not condemning, or you know, approving, or you know, or, or you know, promoting the cannabis industry, I will say that I will condemn any. Assimilation into the state's the state's programming, Uh, any indoctrination into the state's way of doing things. Look, if we develop a system and it happens to look like theirs, that's one thing. But look, I don't I don't want I don't want a bunch of people uh, in cars with lights on the roof and uh, and batons in their hands enforcing Seneca regulations or you know, or Mohawk regulations. I don't want that kind of heavy-handed approach to how we do business on our territories. And look, we need more businesses because that's the only way that we will ever have an economy. And I don't mean more smoke shops, more cannabis dispensaries, more gas stations. You know, that's not what I mean. We need more businesses, a, a range of businesses. That's the only way we actually build an economy, but we've got to protect a few businesses we have in the meantime. So that's what we do. All right, that's my show, folks. Um, again, I, I think that we have to um, maintain an identity and that's what I talk a lot about on this program. So thanks for listening. Uh, I'm John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native.